It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices, do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota hybrids. Find yours at toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, CY2000 through 2021 sales. time to start thinking about Everton again after a couple of weeks of sweet relief. The Toppies are back in action again against West Ham on Sunday in a huge game. We all come on to talk about that a little bit later with Dave Downey, with Les Roberts and with Pete McParland as well, who also reflect on what has been a busy couple of weeks for Everton women, a disappointing couple of weeks for Everton women who've been struggling in the WSL and the FA Cup. But we're going to, first and foremost, have a chat about Everton's accounts and joining me to try and pick our way through what look on the face of it to be very worrying numbers for the football club is Dave Powell, who is the business of football writer at the Liverpool Echo, covering the Toffees and the Reds. Dave, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Are you well? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. How are you? Not too bad. I mean, 
my heart did sink a little bit when I read these numbers earlier in the week when it when it comes to Everton. But I think a lot of us were sort of expecting another bad year in regards to the numbers. But I mean, first and foremost, I mean, someone like yourself when when you saw these when when you saw the results. I mean, how how bad is this for, for Everton? Just as a, you know, as, as a basic question. Um, well, I mean, a quick look at the numbers will show you. You know, it's. I think it's the fourth loss-making year in succession. Um, it's not not as bad as last year, but I mean, you would have had to go some way to beat last year. You know, 139.9 million loss last year, 120.9 this year. Um, it was expected to be bad, and I, I think it's probably a, around what I thought it was going to be. If 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 I'm honest, um, the COVID has impacted the, the club badly, but it has done everyone. You know, but, um, I think one of the issues Everton have had is. Uh, they've, they've relied pretty heavily on player trading in the past. Um, that's fallen heavily, whether that's through, um, the club would argue, kind of a a more depressed transfer market during COVID. Um, but then you've got a year without uh, fans in Goodison Park. But I suppose that, that summer's kind of been offset by higher than normal media revenues because of the deferral of payments from the previous year. So... Um, I think it's none of it's good reading. You know, it's it's not. It would be very. Um, it would be disingenuous to paint a, a kind of glossy picture about this and say it's all fantastic because it's not. I mean, it's very, very challenging time for the football club. They've got a stadium development which is ongoing in the background. They have this threat of, of relegation that, that looms large, um, that that kind of hovers over them as a kind of a spectre for the rest of the season, um, and that's going to be the. The crux of it, really, you know, because Premier League football is so, so vital. Um, Everton inform us they have contingency plans, you know, should should the worst happen, um, God forbid. But uh, it, it's not, it's not a good set of kind of financial performance. Um, they would hope, but it also is. I mean, accounts are one of those things. They're like a Polaroid in time. Um, so these accounts are up to the last end of the financial year, which I think was in May um, of, of 2021. So the picture has changed quite significantly then, since then. So even in these accounts that we've just seen, they still included the wages, the likes of Mo Bezic, Yannick Balassi, um, Hamas Rodriguez, etc. Um, so I imagine the picture has changed somewhat since then. But yeah, they're... They're not great, um, but it it will only heighten the need for for Everton to, to kind of maintain their Premier League status. Yeah, I mean, just very quickly read through some of the the raw numbers for for people who didn't see them last week. So, the accounts for the financial year ending June twenty twenty one showed losses of one hundred and twenty point nine million on turnover of one hundred ninety three point one million, which is the highest in the club's history, and that follows a record loss of one hundred thirty nine point eight million. In 2020, and a further 111.8 million in 2019, with losses totaling a quite extraordinary 395.4 million over the course of the past four seasons. Um, you mentioned there, Dave, as, as well, in, in regards to the club putting a lot of this, this down to COVID. And I think one of the interesting things I've seen around this earlier in the week was, was Keenan McKenna, you know, obviously, he does the, the price of football yeah. um, and, and covers this a lot, sort of equip, you know. <laughs> trying to put equivalence in regards to Everton's emphasis on COVID compared to someone like Aston Villa. Um, and it said that Aston Villa are a club that maybe have, mm. have painted a more accurate picture when, when it comes to this. I mean, from from what you've seen from other clubs and what you've seen from Everton, is the amount of emphasis they put on COVID in, in these numbers and these numbers being so poor a fair one, do you think? Um, difficult to judge, but I mean, I think that 
there, there is the, I mean, it, Villa have been able to kind of itemise and break down their, their, their losses due to COVID, which paints a far more clearer picture. Not every club's done that, uh, it must be said, but um, Everton's kind of, it's, you're left to kind of pull apart the pieces of it and try and find where the losses are. I think they've probably attributed quite a bit of that um, down to, as I mentioned before, but kind of player trading is down heavily. Um, but then, you know, you've, that that's, that's the same for everyone. The transfer market's been depressed for everyone. I think it's kind of a, it, the reason they find themselves in this situation, it's kind of, it's been the perfect storm almost of, um, continued spend without success um, and, and it's kind of the pandemic hit at the worst possible time so Everton were the most exposed um, you feel through their the amount of spending that they've done in pursuit of success I mean just prior to the pandemic you know they'd had Rodriguez and, uh, and Carlo Ancelotti as manager and things like that and it, it, the, the focus seemed to be on kind of breaking into that that top pack really and, and, and the revenues that come with it but because they've not been able to do that it's just been loss after loss and, and trying to, you know, you, you just become a club which is underperforming and overspending. Um, so I imagine they would have, you know, some of these COVID losses are are, are appropriate, um, but, I, you know, it could well be that, that they've used kind of the, the, de- the more depressed nature of the transfer market to kind of you know, a bit more than, than others may have done. But it's difficult to, to break it down without seeing kind of full full breakdown of the um of the impact they've had from covid but um yeah 170 million is the figure they put on it initially but they say that could rise to as much as 220 one of the terms that everton fans have obviously become increasingly familiar with over the last few years is financial <clears> fair play and everton i think it's well documented that they've been backs to the wall in regards to that and another one which has sort of been coming into our vernacular a lot more recently is profit and sustainability rules there's been a lot of reports in regards to that and how Everton might potentially be facing a points deduction. I know, you know, at the Echo, it's been very much assurances that, that that's not the case. But how how wary do you think Everton do you think Everton need to be when it comes to to those regulations? Because it feels though at the moment they're sort of getting away with it a little bit because of COVID, but it feels like another set of financial regulations where the you know they're in the red zone effectively when it comes to staying afloat to them. Um, the, to, to address the first point, um, financial fair play and profit and sustainability are two different things. I mean, UEFA's are the ones who implement financial fair play, but that's only applicable to clubs that are in European competition. Um, so, you know, it, it's something that, well, you know, what clubs like Everton will have to bear in mind, you know, as and when for the future. Um, it's not something that impacts them directly right now, but profit and sustainability is. Um from what we can gather, and what we're you know we're told from those inside the club, the club have wriggle room still um, with regards to profit and sustainability. And discussions with the Premier League have been taking place for over twelve months, I believe. So, um, the, you know, it's not like uh, the accounts published on um, earlier in the week would have been received by at uh, Premier League headquarters at the same time um, as we received them. Um, they've had to they've been dialogue in dialogue with the club for a long time over how to. Um, address their issues and like Mike mentioned before accounts are a, a Polaroid in time um, and since then um, there's been considerable work done to lighten the load on the wage bill uh, Rodriguez's considerable wages have gone um, and you've also got 
other things, other factors included in there. So you've got someone called Paul Goodwin, we believe, has come in to um, kind of look at procurement and cost saving across the business. Um, he's been there for a few months looking at ways that you can kind of streamline the business and do things in a different way. Um, so, but the the, pro, the points deduction story, which which kind of did the rounds, I think it was um, wasn't rooted in. Um, in truth, if I'm honest, because there, there are ways and, you know, there are far many, far more hurdles that um, Everton would have to clear before the uh, the Premier League would even consider anything like that. So things like, you know, that it could be down to your liaise with the Premier League, then they impose a budget like they do in La Liga. So they give you, you know, so Barcelona and Real Madrid have to undergo something like that where they, it's the Premier League keep a close eye on. Um, budgetary control you can only spend x amount you know until such time that you you steady the ship but points deductions aren't something that um uh, are being talked about or, or or anywhere close um and, and also you would have known you know that Everton would have been informed about this long before um because they've been in dialogue with the Premier League for a long time so um well it, it's very difficult though the challenges for Everton because they're still having to fly under these profit and sustainability rules and you've still got the challenge. Say if they do stay up, they've still got the challenge of trying to reshape a squad to avoid um, the same kind of perils that they've they've endured this season. Um, and that <laughs> success tends to go hand in hand with spending money. So um, when you've not got too much to spend next summer as well, it seems like it's going to be a, kind of an austere couple of years for Everton. In regards to that thing, you obviously said that the club have been involved in discussions with the Premier League. Would, would those discussions extend into the Premier League effectively, given Everton, not ultimatums, so to speak, but sort of warnings in regards to, you know, you need to implement these sorts of things to to show that you are getting better at this. So, so maybe it could be something like selling players, as you mentioned there, like Rodriguez obviously off the wage bill, Bernard's off the wage bill, two big earners. Or, or could it even extend it to something like the, the increase in ticket prices? Could, could Everton potentially look at the increase in ticket prices and show the Premier League, look, we're, we're trying to do something about this. Would, would, that, would that be something that maybe would be steered by the Premier League or not? I think the revenue gain that would be gained from, from the increase in ticket prices, from the Premier League point of view, would be pretty negligible. So, um, But they would look at um, what Everton are doing to address the situation. It couldn't be just they have dialogue between the two parties and Everton carry on spending um, and kind of you know ignore the warnings and... Um, it, it's a case of I think you can already see that by last summer's business, the 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 summer transfer window was markedly different. It was almost you know, it was almost like a transfer window from 1993 or 1994. I mean, it's 1.5 million spent on 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 Gray, and then the rest were free transfers. Um, it's it's something. So they've been given directives in terms of I think that to show that they are um, making inroads in doing that and, and like I said they got this Paul Goodwin uh, who's coming from outside um, he's I think he previous experience at things like Manchester Airport he's he's coming to kind of streamline the business uh, or look at cost saving measures around you know around the business so um, it's all these type of things which um, the club have had to go through to to make sure that they are you know they're, they're appealing to the, the Premier League's better nature and I think they are but um, like I said at the top I mean it's re- remaining part of the Premier League is going to be such an important thing for them. Yeah, I mean, just before we, we come on to that to finish off, um, the man who's footing the bill effectively for all this is Farah Mashiri. He made another 242 million available to the club in 2020 21. Um, from his point of view, Dave, just sort of look at it and think, why, why is he doing this? Why does he keep pumping money in? Or is it a case of he simply got to at this point because the, the, 
you know, the expensive mistakes that he seems to keep making in regards to players um, acquisitions, in regards to manager decisions. It's it's ultimately him who's got to foot his own bill in a way, I suppose. Yeah, and let's let's have it right. I mean, this has not gone to plan his tenure at Everton. This has been absolutely not what he envisaged. Um, the spending at the start was was due to was was him trying to bridge that gap before Bramley Moore Dock in effect. So you have to spend to to kind of achieve success. Uh, and the idea was you spend that money to try and bridge that gap between yourselves and the Champions League. So if you get in the Champions League, that can be worth an extra 60, 70, 80 million pounds a year. And all of a sudden your your business model changes. You attract better players, you pull in more revenues, you get bigger commercial deals. That just hasn't happened. Um, and so that heavy spend over a few seasons. And you think about looking at some of the players, you know, they've had Ancelotti come in as manager. Um, even, you know, they signed with Charleston. The Moise Keane, um Deal. He he was one of the most hot, you know, kind of hotly touted players across Europe when Everton signed him. So it, they were obviously trying to go after something bigger in 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 advance of Bramley Mordock because the idea being you want a winning team there, ideally with European football to really sell the the whole experience and and the club. But that's that's not happened. And he, while well, he, he may well have seen um, trouble down the tracks in recent months. Um, with Russia and Ukraine. I don't think um, it was on his agenda last year. Um, and obviously his wealth is was, was tied up with, he has interest in USM, he has other business interests as well. But obviously his links with, with Alisher Usmanov, um, I mean, they've severed ties now. And, and I understand that's, that suspension of USM deals, that, that's permanent really. I don't think that that's going to, there's going to be no rollback on that. Um, but it's, it's a case of Mishiri now having to, I think. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, he, he, he'll understand that the options for, you know, he doesn't want to saddle a club with debt because he also wouldn't get particularly favourable interest rates at the moment because of the risk of relegation at the club and, and the state it's in. So he's he's having to kind of foot the bill. Um, how long you you'll continue to do that and he'll be happy to do that. I, I don't know. It's it, only, only he really knows that, I think. Um, but certainly this isn't what he envisaged, having to, to kind of do this um, and, and the club be facing this this kind of predicament at this stage. So um, I think it's kind of, it's caught him um, on the hop over the past couple of years. And, and it's it's something which is going to be you know, an interesting dynamic moving forward. And finally, mate, you've sort of touched upon it a couple of times, but... Looking at these numbers, looking at the suspension of, of major sponsors, um, the prospect of relegation, I suppose, doesn't really bear thinking about, does it, for Everton? It feels, you know, at the moment, like, from a fiscal point of view, the club's on life support and, and relegation might be like pulling the plug on that a little bit. Yeah, so you, you look at the clubs um, beneath them, particularly um, Norwich. They Norwich gear themselves up when they come up to go back down almost. There's, there's a limited spend um wages are kept within a, a fairly <clears throat> a kind of rigid structure so they go down parachute payment comes in and then they, they're able to to kind of add a, a couple of players around the edges and come back up for Everton if they went down um, obviously they get that revenue hit which they'd miss out on tens and tens of millions of pounds worth of revenue from the Premier League through its broadcast deal which is enormous I mean the, it's the biggest broadcast deal in, um, in world football Um and the AFL one pales into to kind of insignificance in, in comparison. So the problem Everton would have, they would have a lot of players on big wages. I imagine a lot of them not on relegation clauses because it wasn't really a consideration for a club of Everton stature um, once these deals were signed. 
Um, well, you know, they'll be able to get players off the wage bill. It's um, the, you run the risk of being able to to shift some, you know, um, and it becomes a real millstone around a club's neck. And then you've got um, Bramley Murdoch in the background as well. So um, they've still uh, financing for the rest of the, the stadium is, still needs to be sorted. Um, while I believe there's some, you know, kind of options on the table for that. Um, the problem Everton have at the moment is it causes a risk um, for investment banks and finance houses who look at Everton and think, uh, well, the threat of relegation means your interest rates are going to be higher, which ergo raises the price of the, the stadium build um, and, the, and, the, and the loan repayments. So it, it's a difficult one. Uh, and obviously, if they go down, those repayments become harder to make because the revenues are smaller. So it's um, it, it wouldn't be, you know, we're not talking end game here for Everton or anything, but it's it would mean um, they're not a club which has geared itself up for um, championship football at any stage. I mean, why would there have been a Premier League t- side since its inception? Um, but the issue is that uh, they would be less uh, well equipped to, to kind of deal with that impact um, than others. So you've seen, you know, and you have to look, history tells us that when big clubs who weren't particularly expecting it um, fall to the trapdoor, so you're looking like to Leeds, Sunderland, well, Sunderland yo-yoed for a bit, um, but Leeds certainly, it becomes very difficult to get back unless you have kind of got contingency plans in place and a sound financial structure. We're informed that Everton have contingency plans, but the the you know they are very much focused on making sure that that um, none of those things have to come to pass. But as any sensible business would have to do, they'd have to plan ahead for a worst case scenario. Um, and it wouldn't be good for Everton. The impact on revenues would be enormous. Um, and it's it's it kind of it's a, it would be a real body blow to to the club after what's been a really challenging you know twenty two or three years. So um, fingers crossed it won't come to that. But um, it would be very very challenging for them if it did. Yeah, uh, it doesn't it doesn't sound particularly good uh, from that perspective. But fingers crossed they can stay up and start. It would some good changes on and off the pitch going forward. But Dave, appreciate your time as ever, mate. Thanks very much for coming on. Fascinating listening. And uh, hopefully we can chat again next year when the accounts are looking a little bit rosier. Thanks for having me, Matt. And uh, fingers crossed it'll be, we'll be talking about Premier League accounts again. So uh, that's the plan. Yeah, nice one to Dave there, uh, giving a very thorough explanation of all things Everton accounts there. Um, so we don't have to talk about it that much because I don't think it's anyone's really... You've got to be a very specific type of football fan to, to delve deep into that kind of stuff, but it's interesting nonetheless. That joining me now to talk about that and a little bit more on-pitch stuff, Les Roberts and Pete McFarlane. How are we doing, lads? Uh, Pete, have you, have you... Well, I suppose you've not really had a break from Everton during this, this international break, have you? You've been off watching the girls and it's, it's not been much better for them either. No, I, I don't. I don't feel like I ever get a break. To be honest, Matt. Even like you say during the international breaks, of I'm going to watch the women's team, and um, and unfortunately, our season hasn't been um, has been on par with the men's in terms of a lot of disappointing results. But yeah, I think I'm just a glutton for punishment. To be honest. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, and Les, you're here as well. Mate. What have you done during the international break? Have you been watching any other footy, or have you just tried to completely switch off from it all? I've swerved a lot completely. I, do you know what? It's been lovely to switch off. I saw um, I saw the advert for the weekend's games on Sky the other day, and my heart sank. And I felt so gutted because I've never felt this bad. I don't think you know what I'm really like. The weekend's games are coming up, and you're just like, do you know what? That was really nice. 
because didn't even bother with the international stuff or anything. Um, and even Hoylick's game got called off last Saturday, so I literally had no football at all to worry about. And it's been quite nice. Yeah, I've watched a bit of the internationals, but you know, it it has sort of been nice to try and detox and stay away from it all. But I mean, we, I mean, the time has come to talk about them, unfortunately, lads. So we will get into speaking about the team a little bit later on. But just just very quickly on the account, you know, obviously we did a bit of a, a deeper insight there with, with Dave on it. But I mean, it's it doesn't make for great reading, does it, Pete? I mean, it's it's not the numbers. I think it doesn't it doesn't take an expert to to look at those numbers and go, this isn't a, this is not a very well run football club. No, it's it's certainly not a very very well run football club, um, and it's concerning as well that it's, this is not just a you know something that's happened over the past year. We can't purely blame COVID on it. This is something that we I think a lot of us have seen coming for for a long time. We've had record losses uh, on the bounce. We've you know we, we found it difficult to to raise any kind of revenue in terms of player sales. Um, we've got players on big big contracts who who are happy to see out their contracts, which means. It's it's difficult to to move those players on, um, and to recoup any kind of money. Um, certainly, you know the investment that we've made on the field hasn't hasn't been good enough, um, which is reflected in lower revenue because of league league finishes. Um, it, it doesn't make for good reading, and certainly when you when you bear in mind that our owner is a, a billionaire accountant, um, you, you'd expect the accounts to be one of the things that we could we could do well, but. Clearly not. Um, it is a concerning, um, concerning time. But I mean, certainly in terms of the financial fair play, um, we've obviously been in discussions with the Premier League. So hoping that we we can stay within any kind of guidelines that they've given us. Um, but certainly, it's going to be an interesting summer. Um, first priority is to stay in this league, uh, and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's standard, isn't it, Les? That I mean, it, it must be. It's it's probably difficult to lose nearly four hundred million over three years if you tried. When you've got as much income as a Premier League football club, and and to be sat here with, with that number at, at that level, and I think it's it's only supposed to be a hundred million, isn't it, to fall in line with FFP and obviously profit and sustainability rules. But that is a staggering figure for an organisation that is you know playing in one of the most lucrative environments in the world to have lost over that time. I am I am waiting to see a video emerge of Bill Kenwright and Farad Mashiri doing our thing at the end of trading places where they're saying like so it's like a cross between trading places and Brewster's millions. So it's like he's gotta he's gotta lose this I don't gotta lose this amount of money in this amount of time and they're having a better bet you can't do that. It's just it's insane. As Pete said as well, you know, we've got an accountant here, a billionaire accountant. Now, whether an accountant can make a bill, bill you know, be a billionaire. That's up for debate how we get to that money. But the fact is, if you've got that amount of money and you are an accountant, you should be good with figures. How on earth the club has gotten this position? Well, we can see how the club's gotten this position. It's just really, really, really bad recruitment, stupid contracts, getting held to ransom by, you know, clubs like Swansea, who, fair enough, absolutely rinsed us for Sigurdsson. And, you know, if a club's stupid enough to pay that and pay the wages, well, then this is the sort of end game, isn't it? It's... You know, it's been, what, five, six years in the making now, this, and it, it's horrible to see it come to a head, particularly come to a head in the position we're in, in the league. Um, you know, if we weren't in relegation trouble, you could think, well, we're going to be in the Premier League next season, the new TV deal will kick in, things might sort of even out, because you can see the club are trying to sort of, like, get rid of players, get wages off the books. We seem to be doing that relatively successfully. Another load of players will come off the books in the summer. But... It's just the threat of relegation, and that would be an absolute disaster because we miss this next sort of tranche of TV money. Then 
and you just kind of think, well, where do we go from there? Um, yeah, it, it feels very Sunderland in the making, doesn't it? Yeah, without that, without that kind of cash coming in from the Premier League revenue as well, that that is that is terrifying, isn't it? But we'll leave it there. We'll, we'll move, let, let's move on to talk about some on-pitch stuff and potentially uh, an, an upbeat topic if you want to frame it like that. Because we've had a few nice performances from some some of the lads over the international break. Obviously, Richarlison scored three and two for Brazil. Jordan Pickford was, was excellent and man of the match for England against Switzerland over the weekend, but. I mean, the one that sort of triggered the most debate online, Pete, is Nathan Patterson, isn't it? Who has played a couple of football matches for the first time in a while. Um, did very well in the game I saw against Poland when they played last week in the friendly. Didn't see the match against Austria, but apparently he started and played really well in that one. Um, and listen, it's it's obviously a different environment. It's still a high level because international football, they're playing decent sides in, in Poland and Austria, but from the clips that you've seen of this lad and the performances that we've seen from him so far, it just feels like he's just got potentially something a little bit different and something that, that this team's really lacking. And for me, it just makes the the decision from Lampard to hold him back at this point when none of the other fullbacks have performed particularly well. Just very, very peculiar. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the biggest mystery. The fact is, if, if we were playing, if we were playing okay and we were grinding out results and we were keeping clean sheets and, and you know we were looking solid at the back. Then you, you could you could say, well, you know, let's let's bed him in slowly and and give him time to adapt to maybe the pace of the league. But he hasn't even had minutes to to be able to even attempt to uh, to, to to adapt to the pace of the league. Um, you know wh- whether it was something to do with his fitness when he first arrived at the club, I'm not sure. But looking at him on the international stage, he he looks you know he's, he's getting up and down the pitch all game. He looked absolutely fantastic. I'm not I'm not saying that he's gonna. You know, necessarily light the Premier League on fire, but certainly when you've got a young player, um, if, if you're in a if you're in a bit of a relegation scrap as we are now, um, sometimes you just need a bit of a spark and, and a, a young kid playing without fear, someone who's gonna who's gonna actually have have a run at fullbacks and and go on the overlap and and just a bit of an unknown um, for for the opposition to play against. I think I think it's surely now is the time to actually give him some minutes. Um, obviously, I think Lampard's probably reluctant to do it because of maybe because of Seamus Coleman. He sees him as a big influence in the squad. Um, but we've seen uh, Coleman's waning influence in terms of what happens on the pitch for a number of seasons now. Um, I, you know, I love Seamus. I've, I think he's been a fantastic servant for Evan Football Club. I do think we need leaders in the side. But at the same time, at some point, you've got to just you've got to take the chance and you've got to bring this young lad in. Um, like you say, he's he's gone away and performed for Scotland under under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, he's he's going away with his national team. He hasn't been playing first team football. Um, he's he's moved to a new club. He's probably expected a lot more minutes than he's got, which is not in the Premier League. Um, he's had forty five minutes in in the cup game. Um, he's gone to Scotland, and you know he, he's he's still up to the te- to the test, and and he and he's looked he's looked brilliant. So. I personally want to see him in the side. I think it's now is the time to give him a run. Um, but again, it's it's whether Lampard thinks that the Coleman's influence as the captain is more important, um, and, he, and he sees him as as an asset in, in a relegation scrap. My personal opinion is throw Patterson in. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this, but with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. I think it's it's weird, Les. I think there's, there's a few interesting things around this, and Pete's mentioned one of them in regards to the leadership that Coleman brings. But 
I suppose if you're going to play this weird back three system we've been playing, potentially you could play Coleman as the third centre-back and Paris, but, you know, that that's sort of by the by. But you, you do sort of look at the team at the moment and the personnel in there and the fixture we've got coming up in particular. And, and I think with Patterson, maybe, as much as I agree with Peter and I want to see him in the side, just sort of feel like the, the chance to blood him is gone a little bit now because we've had home games against Brentford in the Cup, against Leeds in the league, Wolves and Newcastle in the league. We've had the home cup game against Boreham Wood as well. Now we've got two really tough away games that are going to be difficult for different reasons and some tricky home games coming up as well. And it just feels as though if, if Lampard was going to get him in the side, then he would have had a look at him in one of those home games properly and not took him off after 45 minutes against Boreham Wood. He might have even brought him on for the last 10 minutes against Palace when we were 4-0 down to just have a little bit of a, a look at him that day as well. It sort of feels as like if he was going to start looking towards this lad, as much as we all want him in the team and think he can add something a bit different, then he would have probably done it already. Yeah, it, 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 I say it does feel like a missed opportunity there, doesn't it? You know, he, he has had several chances to play him and he hasn't. Um, I think the thing for me, it's, it's a tricky one. We obviously don't know what he's like defensively. We don't really know what he'd be like in the Premier League defensively. So as you say, Matt, those those games he could have played him would have given us a bit of a better idea about that. Um, obviously, he looks great as an outball, which is something we've missed. Sort of, you know, Cole has been deteriorating each year. And, you know, he's not the sort of outball that he once was, even though sometimes in, in some games he just seems to pull up from nowhere, doesn't he? Goes bombing down the line still. Patterson would be good at doing that. But I think for me, this team is, is pretty devoid of any attacking impetus at the minute. And, you know, with the, with the creative players gone or missing, I think that the thing we've got to concentrate on is just not conceding. So I think for me, I'd go, I mean, I've said this before, probably on air, probably boring people to death with it, but I think I would go to the sort of Ancelotti slash Walter Smith style of four centre-backs across the back four um, just to try and show that. I mean, it worked for Ancelotti last year. He clearly said to them, but we looked at them and thought, you're all pretty limited here. So just go out and just defend. Just be solid in that back four. And obviously, we've not got Mina. So I think I'd give Branthway to go in there, potentially. Um, you know, that in itself is a risk. But I think I think the priority for me has got to be stop conceding goals and then see what we can do going forward. Because we, we have still got that sort of, you know, we can still spring a quick counter-attack. We just don't seem to be doing it at all. You know, we've got Calvert-Lewin back. We've got Richarlison in there. We have got the players who can, you know, can spring a fast attack. But I think until we stop conceding goals, I think we're a bit knackered. Because you see, when we concede the goal, what happens? You know, the head, you know, Palace, Palace were the better team until they scored, and then they score a goal, a dead, dead routine goal, which is something the players should be looking at. He's thinking, what have you just done there? Right, let's get back on with it. And they didn't. He collapsed. So we can't afford to concede goals. I think that's got to be the priority. So as much as I would like to see him come in. I can see why he wouldn't be brought in and he wouldn't be my preference now. I think I think I'd go with Holgate, Brantwick, Keane, and Godfrey as a really sort of our last back line. The meathead back four returns. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it does just worry me the, the, the fact that you know we're not. Do you know what's mad about what you said there though? What's that? It's just do you know what's mad about what you said there though in regards to the change in style. I think I think this is right, but in our last seven games against top flight opposition, we've scored one goal, and that was at Wobies against um, obviously against Newcastle in the ninety nine yeah. minutes, and that and that's Everton trying to play a more on the front foot, high pressure brand of football, isn't it? You know yeah. that, that that is that is a bit scary, well, listen, really. 
this is where he needs to ditch that back three as well because that's not that, especially three four three. That's not a position you can just drop on a team and say play this because there's no fullbacks. If you play if you play like a, a five three two, so it's essentially five at the back. You've got the fullbacks who first and foremost defend, but they can bomb on to help the attack. When you're playing three four three, you've got two midfielders either side, which are neither attacking players, they're not defenders. I think it just leaves it wide open as Palace saw because they were just ripping down the wings. It's it's this is this is where I'm getting a little bit concerned with Frank Lampard. I know it's very early and all sorts of feeling his way around, but he hasn't really got the luxury of time to do that. He needs to stop being cute with it, you know. Because I mean, against Palace, it's easy with hindsight, but it was suicidal. The same, the same with Tottenham, the same with Wolves, a team who play that every week. I just think he's got to get it back to basics with the team and, and just put out the most solid team he can and just see if we can grind results like Newcastle. Yeah, it's uh, desperate times when we're pining for the, the Walter Smith days, isn't it? The, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the, the six centre-backs on the pitch and all that. But, <laughs> but I know what you mean. It, it just feels like they're not very good at either because Benitez tried to shut up shop a little bit, didn't he? And we couldn't do it that. We tried to be more attacking. We, we can't really do that. But... Um, <laughs> Just, just let's move it on to, to Sunday's game then. Um, West Ham away, Pete. You know, you were saying before that, that you're going down there. Um, I think it's going it's to be a really tricky game, isn't it? You know, it, you can't sit here as the, the worst away team in the Premier League and say it's not going to be a tricky game at the moment, you know. And, and they look excellent, don't they? They've got a, a really good thing going on down there for the first time in a while. It feels like West Ham's a happy, upbeat place to be. They're in the quarterfinals and of the Europa League and you know their side which they've got at the moment is very resemblance of the, the latter years Moyes Everton teams I think isn't it you know it's steel it, it, it's solid in there you know they're going to be hard to beat you know they're going to graph but they've just got that that sprinkling of something in the final third which makes them dangerous as well Absolutely and uh, like like you've just said about the David the, the latter years of David Moyes at Everton they they certainly do remind me of that and it, it, they seem to have a togetherness in that squad uh, the fans are on board. Um, they're playing some some very good football, but they can grind out results as well. Um, I think it's a, a very, very tough test for us. Um, certainly not one that I'm looking forward to, but obviously our fans are going to go down there and, and give it their all. Um, I just, at the, at the moment, I, I look at Everton, we just need to get results from somewhere. We need something where it's, it's not just about, you know, I'm not bothered about how we play. I'm not bothered about the type of football we play. We just need results, whether it's whether it's a grind out a nil-nil draw. Um, we, we just need something. Um, but I just think that West Ham, they're on such a high at the moment. They've obviously, you know, they're doing well in Europe. Um, they've got quality all over the pitch as well. And they're very, very hard to break down. And like you say, we're struggling to score. We're conceding too many. We're struggling to score. Whereas they're, you know, doing well, very well defensively, and they and, and they've got goal scorers all over the pitch. So, yeah, it's going to be a very, very tough test. Um, would you, would you, down, would you go down the same route that Les was sort of mapping out there in regards to being very defensive? And because I think, I think for me, I, I don't really mind which way he goes, whether he goes all out attack or he goes, you know, completely defensive. But it feels like now, after changing so much over the last few weeks, that he needs to settle on a system. And give yeah. players a chance to to get used to the system and get used to the players around them, and settle on a, on approach as well. Which is whether that's you know going on the front foot and trying to attack teams, or sitting off and trying to be cohesive and be defensive. Because it feels like we're changing our approach and our tactics and our personnel every single week at the moment. It does, yeah, and and I think as well, you know, the fact that 
our back four has changed that many times as well. We haven't had a settled back four all season, to be honest. We've we've tried different people at left back and right back. We've we've had a th- we've had three at the back. We've had four at the back. We, we we do just need to settle on a system now. And and I and also one of the other issues we've had is that our midfield, our centre and midfield, has chopped and changed that many times. We need to have a settled side, and it, and it's imperative that we start that that, that we do that. Um, I, I do think we need a solid back four. I think we you know in terms of I mean I was saying about Patterson earlier on. Um, um, you know, I'd like to see him play, if not necessarily starting games, I'd like to see him getting some game time. Um, but yeah, I mean, we need to have a settled side now. And the midfield, the, the centre of midfield is key as well, because we've been overrun so many times this season in that centre of midfield. Um, to Corey, for me, although he's got the legs, I think he he massively, um, you know, he's a massive concern for me when we've only got two in midfield. And the same goes for Alan. Um, I, I personally want to see three in that midfield four at the back um, and, and go from there. We need to be solid. We need to, we need to, as I say, start grinding out results. It's not about how we play. It's about purely about getting results now. Yeah. And, you know, Pete mentioned that midfield there, Les. Is it, is it time to turn to Fabian Delph again? Who's been, who's been doing scorpion kicks by the looks of it in training. I seen, you seen his picture on the, um, on the official site earlier in the week. I mean, it's, we, can, we can laugh and we can joke and we can, we can shake our heads or whatever, but, with Alan suspended and, you know, with effectively no other holding midfielder in the squad, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he started at all on Sunday. He's got to, hasn't he? There's, there's literally no other option. As, as Pete said, you know, we need three in that midfield because we have bought midfielders consistently who can't play in a two. Um, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not really a very modern thing, is it, now to have two midfielders playing in the centre of the park, sort of Reed and Bracewell-esque or even Horn and Ebrill or Horn and Parkinson. It's not like... You don't get the two midfielders like that, do you? Um, so, yeah, I, I think we do need to play a three. And, you know, you don't want to keep going back to the Fabian Delft well. But <laughs> sometimes, as you say... You'd probably fall in it. you probably fall in it, yeah. <laughs> but, the, I mean, the thing is, he... he oh, God, when was the last time he played? The, one, the only one I remember was Wolves. When he, played. He, played, he played really well, didn't he? He came on in that game and did really well. Yeah. Did he, did he play against Spurs at home? I think so, yeah. Good game that day as well. Yeah. I think it was City, then, City away was the last game he maybe played. We got beefy. Yeah, I, th- I think basically we've got to play him when he's fit, haven't we? No, there's, there's, there's no other option. And to be honest, I think even if we had a, a sort of fully fit midfield now, which would be... It doesn't matter about the cup, does it? Cup time. <laughs> so I, I suppose I suppose you'd want to go with Alan van der Beek and uh, Decore, ideally. Uh, but then I think, I think the next man to come in there, if he, any of those don't play, it's got to be Elf, really, you know, provided he's fit. Um, the big question for me, though, you know, what are we doing with uh, Delhi? Well, I mean, that, that's sort of what I was going to lead on to next. You know, there's a lot of talk about Patterson having not started the game for us. Yeah, but he's been an Everton player for two months now and he's, he's not been named in, in any 11 so far, Ali. It just, it, it seems like he was, he was bought because he was available. Which, you know, do you know what I suppose if we make 10 million on him in the summer and basically have spares kex down, so long as we stay up, it doesn't really matter, does it? In, in the scheme of things, it's just, um, it just seems like he, his, the sort of position he plays isn't one that we ever play. Yeah. It's like, where does he fit in? So he, even if we're playing like 3 4 3, I suppose there's a case to say you could have him like as one of the front three. So sort of 3 4 1 2 sort of thing, but he's not even tried that. He's just never really seemed to fit in. And, and when he has come on, I think that one ball to Rond on a side, was that when we were walloping Leeds, was that that game or was it? Yeah, that's that's pretty much all we've seen. I mean, he's kind of laboured through. 
the games he's been on. So just a really odd one for me. Just don't know how he fits. Yeah, I I, I think I think there were two signings weren't there in, in in the January that we that that we shake our heads up probably um, with El Ghazi as well. El Ghazi hasn't mm-hmm. had any minutes. I think we all know that the El Ghazi deal was more of a sweetener. Um, you know, with, with the Luca Dean uh, with Luca Dean going to Villa. Um, you know, a little bit of a handshake with an agent, maybe, but um, certainly for that, De- Deli Ali for me. Do you know what? Do you know the thing about Deli Ali? He's only twenty. What is he? 25, 26? Five, yeah. He reminds me of when we signed David Ginola. Remember when we signed David Ginola and he was like thirty-four, and we all knew in theory he was a great player. We'd seen all you know for years that he'd been a great player for Tottenham, for for Newcastle, even at Villa when he was a little bit older. He was still a, he was still a handy player. Deli Ali looks like a 36-year-old Deli Ali. He, he is when I see him actually on the pitch, which which we haven't seen very often, he just doesn't look like he's got the legs that he used to. And whether that's a fitness thing, whether you know, maybe I'm being harsh on him because he hasn't had you know that much game time. But I look at him and just think he's he just doesn't seem to have that spark that he used to have. Again, whether that's fitness, whether it's confidence. Um, but he just, I mean, he's 25. He should be. He should be chomping at the bit. He should be coming to Everton and 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 demanding a place in that side. He should be coming from Tottenham, thinking this is my chance to reinvigorate my career, to to you know to, to relaunch my career. Everton are in a scrap. We need they, they need players to step up to the plate. Deli Ali should be should be demanding a place in that side. And unfortunately, from what I've seen of him, yeah, he doesn't look like a twenty five year old Deli Ali to me. I think it's. I think it's just been quite typical of Everton's recruitment, hasn't it? Over the last five years, a decent player becomes available. We go in for him. Selling club goes go ahead. Then yeah, you can have him. We're like child, right? What we're going to do with him now? It, it's just very sort of typical of the of the last five or six years, hasn't it? It's well. This this is surely what this is what happens, isn't it? And the situation we're in now is what happens when you sack your director of football in December sell one of your best players because he's fallen out with the manager, bring in replacements that the manager wanted and then sack that manager and then wait two weeks to bring in a replacement a day before the transfer win. You know, this is what this is the collateral from that, isn't it? This is where you end up with players and you think, well, why is it why is he here? And how does he fit into all this? Because over the space of a couple of months, they've changed the recruitment strategy probably three or four times and brought in three or four different players during that time frame. This, this is why those accounts this is why those accounts are absolutely no surprise to me. When you look at how the football club is run, literally, let's let's get rid of one of our best players because he fell out with the manager, then sacked that manager a few days later. It just and people wonder why we're in such a bad financial position when people are running the club like that. Baby enthusiasm music's on loop. I've got <laughs> I mean, the Al Ghazi one. I was watching a bit of that that debate thing that Gary Neville did yesterday, and he didn't even know he'd signed for Everton. Like, it's one of the, it's one of the, it's one of those deals that people like. Has he has he gone to you? I didn't even know. He's, he's going to be and in you, that sort of that that eleven with Andy Gardner and that, isn't he? Yeah, the players <laughs> you forgot played for your team eleven. Yeah, but it's it's mad. It's it's mad. But I mean, I won't ask for predictions for Sunday because of. No. Yeah, I don't want it to be too down. But there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to, to get your your opinion on, lads. We'll finish off by speaking about what's going on with the women's team, but just one other uh, point that came out today, it's going to affect everyone in the Premier League. Uh, the decision has been ratified from next season. The, we're going to have five subs in every game. Uh, the five subs will be able to made, be made at, in spells at half-time and then three separate spells between the games. You can basically make two subs, one, and then two or three, one, one, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, feels like a few teams have changed their mind on this after the initial one, though for it was, you know, sort of played down last year. It obviously puts us, the Premier League in line with the rest of Europe, who've been doing it as well. Um, what, what, what do you make of it, Pete? It's it's one of them. I'm, I'm not I'm not dead angry about it, but I, I don't really like the idea, first and foremost, of changing half your starting 11, effectively, in regards to outfield players. That in itself feels a bit weird. Um, I don't like that there's going to be more stoppages. Obviously, there'll still be free slots to make changes, but they'll be getting filled up more often. So the game's going to be a bit more broken up and a bit more disjointed. And I don't really like the fact that this is ultimately going to benefit the three teams in the league at the moment that have got ridiculous squads, ridiculous resources, and are going to be able to tap into that even more. The dark web can be like a restaurant for identity thieves. Hi, ready to order? I'll have the driver's license number. Great, that comes with a home address or a birth date. Ooh, both, please. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Identity theft protection starts here. Well, that's that's you know the final point is the main one for me is the fact that the the teams that who have been most vocal about this and the managers who've been most vocal about wanting five substitutions, it's not the managers at the bottom of the league, it's the managers at the top of the league, and they're saying that they're fighting on all fronts and all this sort of thing. Well, the only way you can redress the balance slightly is if is if you play when you're playing against the bigger teams, if you're scrapping at the bottom and you can't afford to have a squad which is full of international players then the only way you can redress the balance slightly is the fact that they might have a few tired players on that pitch. Now, if they're able to bring on five international players all of a sudden, and then the likes of Burnley, you know, I mean, even us, we there's, there's times last season and this season where we've had to name two goalkeepers on the bench. We haven't had enough players to, to be able to make five substitutions. Um, and I personally think it's all down to just, you know, just going along with whatever... Those big, you know, Sky Six, whatever those, whatever those team teams want. Um, you know, he who shouts loudest gets what he wants. And you know, in the end, um, and we all know who the biggest culprit for that would be would be um, one of our neighbours over over the park who 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 was who was cried his way into getting his his way. Um, but I, I I can't see it benefiting anyone other than those top teams. Um, I just think. Like you say, if you can change half your team midway through a game, if if you can, if if you're a team that's set out to play a certain way, knowing that you know the team that you're going to face, um, and you're doing a great job and you're keeping them out, and then all of a sudden, you know, throughout the course of the game, they can bring on five substitutions and completely change the way they set up. I just think it's um, sport integrity is out of the window. Yeah. You've certainly made the Scab Six pay for that Super League nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They've, they've, give, they've given them effectively guaranteed Champions League football with this new UEFA regulation, and now they, oh. can, now they can use those squads to the, to the heart's content. Yeah, but, it does. It, it just, it's getting more and more pointless as it goes on, isn't it? You know, this, is, this has been brought, brought in under the sort of guise of player welfare. Well, if they're worried about player welfare, just cut the number of games. Stop playing so many stupid European games. Don't have the teams dropping from the Champions League to the Europa League to the conference. Two, the two-legged League Cup semi-final is a mad one. <laughs> just, yeah. just make it one, one game. Yeah. That's just not needed. Yeah, just cut all the pointless games that are in there. You know, because as Pete said, there's, there's no integrity in it now, really. There's just the, the sport and integrity is completely going. When you look at the, the trying to lock in those teams in the Champions League, 
um, by basically saying, oh, yeah, if you want it a few times in the past, come on in. <laughs> kind of thing. So they're doing that. Then there's, then there's the whole fart that's been for years about dropping from one competition to the next. That's a load of shite. That should go. Um, there's just loads of games. And, you know, the, the fans of these teams don't really seem to mind these games, you know, because, you know, the clubs are making money off it. They're getting to see their team play. They're being successful. So they'll, you know, they haven't got this thing whereby they're dreading every single game that comes along. They can't wait for the next one. So I think it's a bit wrong to bring it in as, as a, a sort of player welfare issue. And especially when you've got, you know, an expanded World Cup coming up, um, the qualifiers and everything's going to be more, there's just more and more and more football. It's reaching saturation points. You don't care about the players. There's absolutely no player welfare thing in this at all because they're just flogging them till the death. Basically, it's, it's yeah, it, it's just becoming pointless and more and more disillusioning. Bring on the sweet release of the championship. That's what I say. Well, don't they, don't they have five subs as well already? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sort of watching cricket or something. Oh, yeah. Well, well, England are awful in that, so maybe not. <laughs> but, um, but no, yeah, if you've got thoughts on that, let us know at the Blue Room ESC on Twitter. Um, I think it's obviously quite a divisive topic and it's going to be interesting to see how, how it plays out. But six substitution slots, VAR. Yeah. Rolling subs like in kids' footy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many goalkeepers will be able to name on the bench then at that point? Will, will one of them actually get on? Let's see. Uh, but let, let's let's wrap up by having a chat about what's going on with, with Everton women. Uh, Pete had a great win on March 12 against Leicester, 3 2. And then since then, they've had a brutal run of fixtures and a brutal run of results. They've got B3 0 alone by Chelsea, consecutive 4 0 losses to Manchester City, um, including one in the FA Cup. And then Old Trafford on Sunday, uh, they lost 3-1 after going ahead. I, I watched a, a bit of the game against United at least and it, it felt like after you know, City and Chelsea are obviously on ridiculous levels at the moment in the women's game, but it, it felt like there were a few more positives from that performance um, You know, on what was a, a massive occasion for a lot of the girls playing in a stadium like that. Absolutely. I mean... The, the results don't necessarily tell the full tale for me. I think I think the first game against Man City, uh, we were, I think we were well beaten. The second game, I, I thought that we actually, you know, show, showed a far better performance that, uh, from the girls. I think um, the Manchester United game at the weekend, it was such a big occasion to, for, for them to play. I think the the estimated crowd was over twenty thousand. I think it was twenty eight thousand sold, and about twenty one thousand actually turned up. Um, but you know the occasion was fantastic for, for the girls to actually play in that stadium. Um, we we started off on the front foot. We got an early goal. Uh, unfortunately, it was one of those things where we scored, and we all sort of looked at each other. And we and you know you, you, once you finish celebrating, then you look at each other and think, how long's left? And it was like three minutes in, and you think, oh no, it's it's too early. It's it like so hard in the FA Cup final all over again. Yeah. Oh, only twenty five seconds gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you remember that one yeah, one where we, we got B five one on Solskjaer? Four, yeah. We went ahead that early. Like, hang on a minute. Yeah, it, it was. It was one of those things. And then you're thinking, I'll just hold out till half time. How long's left? A C- couple of minutes till half time. Twenty minutes gone. And it was just, you know, it was just one of those games that sort of dragged on. And you, and you knew that the more the game went on, uh, the more pressure that Man United had put on, and and the and the crowd got right behind them. Um, but overall, the, the performance from from the players was 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 superb. I, th- I think certainly since Chris Roberts has come in. Uh, the players have looked a lot more settled. We've looked, we've looked a lot more of a, of a, of a jet. You know, the, the the team have gelled. Um, we've we've managed to get some players back from injury as well, which has helped. But it, it's it's that thing about having a settled side. We we've we've gone all season where 
we haven't really been able to settle on a formation on a starting eleven. I still don't know what our, our best eleven would be. To be honest with you, it's, it's been one of those seasons. We we've made so many signings in the summer, and I almost feel like we we did too much business in the summer. There was too much. Um, you know, it unsettled the squad. I, I think it took us so long to sort of gel as a squad. Um, but certainly the, the results over the last few weeks don't tell the full story in terms of the performances. I think certainly the individual individuals uh, like Gabby George and Meg Finnegan can be proud of their performances, even though we've conceded, you know, a lot of goals. Our two centre-halves have been superb. Um, so, you know, the, there are still a lot of positives to take. And, and I think that we... You know, it's 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 a huge summer for us in terms of getting a new manager in um, and sorting out the recruitments. We've got a lot of players out of contract as well, uh, so that the sooner a new manager comes in, the better. Um, but I, I still see positive signs there. I still see that there's a uh, you know the nucleus of a really good side. Um, it's just a case of of getting the team to gel properly and and settling on a formation and 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 to pick up some results before the end of the season. Yeah, and th- th- that's what I was going to ask you about in regards to the manager. Obviously, Chris Roberts has, has come in. Is, is there any sense that he might get the job on a, on a long-term basis? Is, is there anyone out there that's available or you think Everton could get that you'd, you'd like to see them go for? Um, I mean, firstly, with Chris Roberts, I think Chris is a, is such a he's, a... he's a great person. He's been at Everton for, for a while now because he, he came as Willie Kirk's assistant. And, and Chris has, has, has always been someone who... Um, he's been, he's always been great with the fans, with the supporters. He's always had a lot of time for the supporters. He loves Everton Football Club as well. Um, you know, he's, he's from Scotland originally, but he's I think he's got a, a real affinity with Everton Football Club now. Um, I I'd love nothing more than, than to see Chris giving a go. To be honest, I think I think he has done well. Um, certainly with with all the upheaval this season. Um, he's been a shining light in the management team who's, who's really stepped up and, and really has tried to, to get those players going. And, and the players do like him. You, you, can, you can see that just in the, in the way they play and the way they respond to him. Um, I, I haven't heard him necessarily put his name in the hat. I think he's, he's treating it as a, you know, a short-term thing. My personal, my personal choice, if I could pick anyone, I would like Carla Ward from Aston Villa. I think she's, she's a, a very good young manager. Um, she she did a great job at Sheffield United. She did very well for Birmingham City under very you know you know hard conditions last season and kept them in the league and and they they look certain to go down now. Um, you know she's done a good job at Aston Villa this season. Whether or not we could actually prize her away from Villa, I don't. I, I think that's doubtful. But if if there was an opportunity to go and get Carla Ward, she would be my personal choice. Um, but if Chris Roberts were to stay, I. I I think we've just got to back him. I think, as I say, he's, he's got the right mentality. The players like him. He loves the club. He, he ticks a lot of boxes for me. And Carla Ward must have a thick skin as well. She's gone from Birmingham to Aston Villa. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right in at Everton. And just one more thing on the women's game and I'll bring you back in here, Les. It was unbelievable scenes at the Camp Nou last night weren't there in, in, in regards to... Barcelona, Real Madrid in the the women's Champions League. I think that the ninety one thousand is obviously a record for for the women's game, but also the, the highest attendance of any football match anywhere in Europe this season. It's um it, it was incredible to see, wasn't it? The, you know, the atmosphere, the, the chemistry between the players and, and the fans in there, and it's just an amazing incentive, isn't it, for, for for all girls out there and all women out there who want to get involved in that game. That the the heroes are there and they're getting that kind of platform and that kind of adulation. Yeah, it is. It is really good to see. So, like, as I never shut up about it, coaching a Hoylake, 
And um, their girl setup now is it's fantastic. In the last couple of years, it's gone from like one team to about, about ten teams now. I think they've got a team in each, at least one team in each age group now uh, for youth football, kids football. So it, it's good to see things like that. You know, people sort of taking it seriously now, not like just the women playing and sort of brushing it off as like some sort of side show. People really taking it seriously, and you know, girls need these role models. Uh, in football, you know, it's all very well them playing football themselves and then just seeing the men's game. It's not, there's not going to be that connection there, is there? You need someone you can look up to who's sort of been through what you've been through, your circumstances and that. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see. And it's good to know that, like all those girls who are coming through a whole like they've got, you know, women's football to watch. That's a good standard and, and people are taking it seriously and watching it and the good role models for them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Pete, you're involved in the supporters club and, and you know, and know a lot of the players and all that really well. I mean, I imagine that's something they would have been talking about all day today, wouldn't it? You know, what, what happened in Catalonia last night? Absolutely, and certainly on social media, just about every player's posted about it. I think it's, it's, it is so exciting for those players. They've just come off the... You know, off the weekend, they've they've just stepped on the pitch at Old Trafford, so they've experienced a, a good atmosphere themselves. A, you know, a big crowd, but um, to see ninety odd thousand at the at the Camp Nou is 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 phenomenal. Um, and with the Euros coming up this summer as well, I know that the final at Wembley sold out. Um, you know, pretty much straight away, so they're expecting a, a huge crowd for that. So it is. It, it's great to see that the, the that the women's game is is getting better attend, attendances. And and like Les says, it's so important for for young kids to be able to look up to their heroes and to be able to see, you know, themselves in their heroes. Because that's you know, their role models when they when they can see someone who looks like them doing something that they love. Um, it's it's so important for for a young kids to have those types of role models and and that's certainly something that we see with the supporters club. Um, we we've been trying very hard this season. You know, even on the back of bad results, we've been trying really hard to to get the atmosphere going at Walton Hall Park. Um, one of our big aims for this season was to make sure that we had chance for every player that we were that we were trying to you know build the atmosphere. It had it, it tended to be very quiet at, at Southport, um, possibly because of the distance. There was almost like a bit of a, um, you know, people people almost seem nervous to chant. It was just, it, it, it was, it, a lot of it is about changing the mentality that, no, this is a football game. We're here to support the players. We're here to to, to, to build up an atmosphere. And to see that at the Camp Nou last night was uh, was fantastic. And and certainly, Walton Hall Park doesn't quite hold that many people. Um, <laughs> but but we are trying our best to try and get the atmosphere going. And and to see the, the, the reaction from the fans around us, and to see the atmosphere building every time we go, and um, to see the kids getting involved and, and enjoying themselves, it's um, you know it, it makes it all worthwhile for us as a supporters club. Definitely, you could probably get ninety thousand on that little hill at the side, maybe. Oh yeah, no <laughs> <laughs> maybe not in these days, social distance. But we've we've named it Simone McHill. Oh, marvelous! <laughs> Absolutely marvelous! <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, but no, lovely to finish on on a positive anyway with, with what happened. Over in Barcelona last night. Uh, fingers crossed the lads can follow suit on Sunday. Uh, and obviously, Pete, you're, you're traveling everywhere this weekend, mate. You're going away tomorrow night as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to Birmingham tomorrow. So um, to, to, to watch watch the women. Um, so looking forward to that game. I think it's Birmingham right at the bottom of the league. So I'm I'm hoping for three points there, and then you know get home and then uh, travel down to London on Sunday as well. All over the place. Insane. I don't know why you do it. Um, but yeah. Well, I don't know why you. I do it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well done to anyone like Pete doing both of those journeys. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's been your weekly this week. Uh, we'll have all usual stuff over on the Blue Room Extra if you want your weekend preview, mailbag, 
and Subs Weekly building up to that game against West Ham at the weekend. Cheers for tuning in. Uh, hope you enjoy what's left of your week. Um, up the softies. Fingers crossed you can do the business. Zoe and a cold brew for yourself. King Supers delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the King Supers app and start your cart, whatever the cart. King Supers, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at kingsupers.com/boost. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.